0: Welcome to CII Podcasts.
1: Thank you Ajay Ajay Piramal the chairman of the Piramal group for joining us here today. You know, he is one of the India's leading industrialists and philanthropists and it's very rare to have a great combination of of both and he definitely exemplifies that. As chairman of the piramal group he has led his transformation into a 10 billion dollar global business conglomerate with interests in financial services pharmaceuticals real estate and of course under his leadership he has built a very strong track record of robust sustained partnerships with several marquee global investors and partners and i think one of the things we really see happening for india over the next 25 years is you know consolidating our position in the world and really seeing how india becomes the epicenter of global leadership as we move forward and i think ajay's diversity and the ability to work across the world with different sets of partners really sets his group apart he's also a very ardent promoter of social entrepreneurship as i said deeply invested in unlocking and further strengthening india's sub socio-economic potential through the piramal foundation and actively steers the group's involvement in various social impact initiatives and i must say that i've personally seen his passion and excitement as his foundation has worked you know across 27 states two union territories some of the most backward districts in the country and impacted over 120 112 million lives of course that's a number but there's such a large you know effect that that flows over from that uh, the foundation has partnered with niti ayog uh, india's foremost think tank to work in the 25 most aspirational districts across seven states in India to not only improve the human develop indicators around health care and nutrition and education, but also in every other aspect of life for such marginalized sections of society. A person of his nature has won so many awards and I can read out a whole list uh, of, of those, but that is actually true recognition of what he has brought both to this country and, you know, for himself, uh, for the world. So Ajay, thank you so much for joining us here, you know, today and and really, you know, sharing your thoughts as we move over to the next 25 years. So maybe to begin with, you know, when, when we talk of uh, India's, you know, future, right? How, what's your dream, right? How do you see India shaping up over the next 25 years uh, as we move along to India at 100?
0: Thank you very much. I think your introduction was probably saying a lot more than what may perhaps be the truth. But uh, anyway, as I see, I think today is a great time to be in India. I mean, uh, you know, we have seen this India when uh, India was 60, India at 75, and today at 75, we are looking at India at 100, or the Abhijan as uh, the Prime Minister has called this. And frankly, I have. Uh, never seen as much optimism uh, as i see uh, for india today as going forward into the future and i'm really uh, i mean I, unless we mess it up i think this is a golden opportunity for india whether it is in terms of business and industry whether it is in terms of even our soft power that we can exercise over the world. In the world, I think this is the best time uh, to be in India. I can see the advantages that we have. We are a country which has got the youngest population. The demographic dividend is working in our favor. As more and more youth coming in, we see the uh, you know we see a lot of excitement in them, and we are we've seen that Indians not only in India, but anywhere else in the world, actually make a very useful contribution to the economies of the world, whether it is in terms of talent and whether it's, and it's also peace loving, people by and large, we don't create problems. So overall, it's a good time to be in India. But perhaps uh, what I would like to see in India, in the Amrit Kal, is to see a much more inclusive Uh, development of the country today uh, there are parts of the country we are a large country and there are several challenges and there are still parts of the country which do not match the development in the more developed parts of the country so you spoke about the aspirational districts uh, so we are now working in the 112 aspirational districts And if I look at just aspirational districts, which constitute about 15% of the population of the country, this is where, if you look at all the human development indices, they are far behind the rest of the country. And if we can get these even to the average uh, in the uh, development indices, I think our GDP growth could be significantly higher, at least two percentage points higher than whatever we are. Uh, targeting now. So, people say the long-term growth rate of India could be 7-8%. You can add a couple of percentage if these are developed. So, that is one area and I'm glad that the government is putting focus on that. The other area that I would like to also highlight is on the tribal uh, population. Again, 10% of India's population is tribal and many of us have just forgotten about it. So how do we bring in an inclusive India where these aspirational districts, population and tribal health care, tribal are brought together? That's where even our foundation has been working in close cooperation with the government and with uh, the state and the local bodies and with industry from both India and abroad. And I guess that once we do this well, uh, I think the country will grow even faster and it will be a much more sustainable development and more equitable growth.
1: No, I think great points, Ajay. And, you know, it's India is so well positioned, right? Like today when we see the turbulent times in the world, the uncertainty, you know, we are still amongst the fastest growing countries in the world with a lot of catch-up. But absolutely right, right, you know, we have to take everyone along. And I think both the sections you talked of, are so critical but you know when we look at both the growth of private enterprise you know based on the way we see capitalistic societies grow and philanthropy right which is also required i mean you as a business leader and as a group you know beautifully represent both of these aspects you know is is there a formula would you see like to see more indian business groups you know becoming like that where where do you see the role of private sector enterprise and maybe you know uh, we can also talk about philanthropy a little deeper later on but how do you see this play out you know over the next few years
0: so the private sector has a key role to play in the growth of any economy and more so in india i mean as we have moved more we have seen what the effects of the socialist economy were and up to 91 till when the liberalization started, you saw what growth rates were and how they have increased further. And I think we still have a way to go towards making it a really budding uh, private, I mean, to make it the best destination in the world or amongst the best destinations to invest in the world. And we've seen that as the economy opens up, as regulations are more and more, uh, you know, rules are, relaxed and made more rational, I think uh, you will have a lot of uh, growth taking place. One big advantage that we have as a country, again, is the space and the spread of digitization that has taken place. And this, again, means that more there are less regulations, frankly, in this industry. And uh, the more this takes place, I think you will find that uh, Whether it is in the business sector, whether it is in the social sector, it makes a difference. So let me give you examples. Let's say with the amount of digitization taking place all over uh, the country, you have so much data on the quality of credit that you can give. And therefore, if you see that in the banks, in the uh, NBFCs and all the, today the the bad loans or the non-performing assets today are at the least. And where elsewhere in the world, you find so many issues. We've not we don't have them today. It's only because so much of data is available, so much of history is available of those people who are borrowing. And this same digitization actually has helped in the social field as well. You saw what happened in COVID, for instance in COVID, India had perhaps the most, the largest for sure and perhaps the most successful way of ensuring that the direct benefit transfer, where people who really deserve the money got what they were given from the government. Itself was only because of the data that we had and the digital infrastructure that the country has. Or the fact that we could feed so many people free food grains for 28, for 80 crore people have for 28 months have been given free food grain. It's only because of this data available. So therefore, in some ways, what I, what I'm trying to say is that the ec- economic growth and the social development, which are both important for our country go hand in hand. And as private enterprise improves and becomes becomes more and more, uh, let's say, <clears throat> prevalent and more and more successful, it will also have knock-on effects on the social sector as well.
1: No, I think you're absolutely right. Like, your, both your examples were so, so strong. And I think with the Indian government now, you know, increasing the public digital stacks, right, which move now from financial services to healthcare and now to agriculture, I think that that inclusivity agenda, which you know you you initially talked about, has begun to become real, and and you know with a lot of young people and startups and new ideas, new innovation. I'm sure that's going to also propel our private sector to to take on more challenges. But you know, also one thing you spoke Ajay in your opening uh, in thing on the vision was while india will grow its private sector you know our soft power to the world is very very important right i I mean and i know we define soft power so differently but when you look at soft power from india you know how do you see it what what is that soft power of india that you think can can shape the world as we move forward
0: i mean i think this whole uh, philosophy of uh, india And uh, that is, you know, we talk about now in G20, you talk a lot about Vasudev Kutumbakam. What does it mean? One world, one family, one earth. Actually, where are we seeing and one future actually. So uh, look at what happened during the time of COVID. And India is the best example. Again, it was a time when many countries had actually restricted the flow of Vaccinations. They kept it only for themselves, and actually, the developed world was involved in that, or whether it was pharmaceuticals. And what did India do? At that time, we gave uh, vaccinations to the most needy countries, we gave drugs to the whole world. So, this is the way India showed its soft power, and these things are not going to be easily uh, forgotten. People would You know, remember this. Similarly, I mean, look at even in the conflict between uh, Russia and Ukraine, the role that India has played has been quite significant. At one time, there was a fair amount of criticism, let's face it. But I think in balance, people have realized that the role we played. and I hear that many times there are leaders of different countries wanting India to play a more significant role in terms of trying to bring an end to the conflict. So, rather than taking extreme positions with one side or the other, we've played a genuinely role which is looking at the greater good of the world. So, these are just one, some examples that I said. Similarly, I mean, you know, when we talk about the Indian, I mean, yoga, I mean, has, let's say, been popularized. Isn't that something which the uh, power of India is? So, there are so many such things, I think, in education. You know, when you look at the 21st century, let's say, education, people globally are finding that you need to have in education, that education till now has been really very cognitive things. But you need beyond that. You need, like, compassion-based learning. Even our new education policy talks about it, but that is the essence of all Indian thinking right from the beginning. So these are the things where in every sphere we can add to uh, the superpower, whether it is in education, whether it's in the quality of living, whether it is in ter- terms of you know the, uh, nutrition, mindfulness. I mean, these are all areas where we need to be uh, we can take our power beyond what is understood.
1: No, I think taking Indianness to the world is, <laughs> you know, like the talk of Indianness inside and what does it mean? You know, like you so truly, Ajay, represent at least, you know, in my years of interaction with you, you know, the, the ideal leader, right? You not you not only need a clear thinking head and clean working hands, but a warm, caring heart, right? And I think that's leadership, right? You talked of compassion and how that will you know, being inculcated and imbibed in young people from India. And, you know, how do we take that forward? Anyway, you know, a lot of Indian talent is shaping the future of the world. But, you know, one of the things you talked about was India's role during COVID and, you know, the pharmaceutical sector particularly, right? We still have a lot of dependence, you know, on international, uh, you know, inputs and others as far as the pharma sector is concerned is definitely a very important industry and you know you are so deeply involved in shaping the future of that industry out of india but to really become self-reliant over the next 20-25 years you know what what do you think are the key things we should be doing if we were to look at that one specific sector uh, so to say
0: so if you look at pharmaceuticals as an industry on one side, one spectrum is the R&D, the new drugs, the research and genuine new drug innovation on one side and the other, and at the other end is the manufacturing of generic products or products which are off-patent and you just make them. As far as manufacturing of uh, uh, off-patent generic products are, India is uh, now known to have the, the lowest cost and perhaps the best quality globally, so that is established. I think there are other parts of the uh, whole chain, the value chain, which is where we need to focus on much more. In R&D, the fact is that in 75 years, there's not been any drug, uh, original drug, which has been discovered out of India, and therefore we have to do much more to uh, do that, to see how we can do uh, drug discovery which of course means that you need to develop a whole knowledge base and therefore you need really good, uh, uh, you need really good universities which can impart that knowledge. You need, RN, you need uh, development laboratories that will uh, do that development. You need a set of regulations which will encourage this to happen. So much more needs to be done, let's say, for the R&D sector the other thing that india actually lost out was in manufacturing of apis or the active pharmaceutical ingredients which are the building blocks for the final uh, finished product and here again i think uh, for many years actually india lost out in the manufacturing you're seeing this in different industries we had become not competitive size, the scale was uh, you know it was not a global scale of manufacturing, so our costs of production were high, there were a lot of other regulations as well. I think we have to open up manufacturing, it's not only in in pharmaceuticals, which is a big issue, but in many other industries, I think we've lost that uh, manufacturing capability. So India has had a long history of manufacturing, I mean, you know. Uh, for many, uh, it's more than 150 years of manufacturing, but we lost out somewhere on that. So the socialist, I think regime also brought in, you know, so many other constraints, whether it was capacities being limited, whether it was the labor inflexibility and so on. So I think uh, now that's opening up, but much more needs to be done. It will take time, it can't be overnight, but the fact that the uh, COVID has also changed the world, the world wants a, a, you know, a diversified uh, supply chain and, and India is a well positioned for that because we are a stable country, whether it's in politics, whether it is in governance, we have high, you know, we have a good uh, system of judiciary, of a, of a bureaucracy. It's a free country. So I see that there will be again, investments coming in. It take time, but that's where we have to go.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, by 2047, we have to... I think there's this vision, maybe even sooner, like how manufacturing actually becomes 25% of our GDP. Right. I think all the PLI schemes and the yes. encouraging news you hear about companies like Apple and all using India, you know, as a China plus one. But maybe the 2047 vision should be, the world should be talking of an India plus one strategy. You know, and maybe that's how we can, you know, get there. But you're right. You know, I think, you know, what we have lost maybe in past years, how can we accelerate that? And I, I think it will require a very deep understanding, trust between government and industry, you know, and other stakeholders to really make that happen. You know, even like what you said, some of the uh, challenges that we have to address, maybe we have to figure out the best way to you know, do that, but it's definitely a big agenda for the India at 100 and something I'm sure you'll be, you know, very, uh, involved with, uh, with us as we do that, but, you know, your one, you know, strength that at least we've seen, you know, play out is, is how you have leveraged, you know, the Piramal foundation, you know, to, to really make significant changes on the ground, right. Block by block district, you know, district by district, uh, you know, tremendous amount of, uh, you know, visible change, right, on the ground. And the challenge remains is how do we align, you know, the country and large part of our philanthropic efforts to, to you know, to, to create outcomes that are visible to larger. You know, we have great pockets of excellence where this happens. Uh, you know, so Ajay, really your thoughts on how do we broad-based philanthropy, how do we stimulate you know more uh, giving is there something you know uh, the diaspora can do more to engage with India or the business groups here or individuals just your general thoughts around how do we improve philanthropy in India
0: so first let's look at the positive I think philanthropy in India actually if you look at our tradition has been there all the while I mean you know we a lot of people talk about how philanthropy in the U.S. and the contribution uh, that many uh, large families have done in the U.S. I just want to remind you that more than 150 years ago, uh, the Tatas gave all their whole wealth only for philanthropy, which nobody else in the world has given, like 99%, I think, of the wealth of the Tata Trust, uh, of the Tatas is in a trust which are for philanthropy. But uh, quite apart from that, I think uh, the 2% CSR, which the government asked companies to give of their uh, profits, that's been a big uh, plus. But the problems in India, actually, these have been going on for centuries, some of them. And uh, progress has been made, but like, for instance, at the time of independence in 1947, You'll be surprised, but the average uh, longevity of uh, Indian was only 32 years. We are more than double today. But still, there are lots of parts, as I said, uh, if India, which are still, uh, which need more attention. And this can only happen because the country is large, it can happen on scale only with partnerships. And the partnerships have to be between government. Between industry, between local NGOs, and hyper local NGOs. Unless we have this collective together, that's the only way I think that these problems, which have been going on even for the last 75 years, will get sorted out. And I'm seeing this example working actually. So, what I uh, say is that uh, if what Piramal Foundation, when it puts one rupee, Actually, the multiplier is 15 times. So that's what the government, the largest NGO in this country is the government of India. The amount they spend across. But how can we channelize them to make it more effective? So, as I said, 15 times the amount is spent by government and by other agencies with us, because of us. But the way, how do we develop the systems that will make it more effective? Uh, more effective whatever money you put how do you measure output how do you train the middle management of government to actually produce better results to be bigger better leaders i think these are the challenges and if we all work together it cannot be solved by the government alone it cannot be solved by any foundation alone it has to be a collective and that's what i think uh, uh, we should do I have found that in the limited experience we have had we, this has made a big difference and if it can spread all over the country I think it will have a huge impact
1: no I think you know you. through this conversation I have been noticing you are talking about partnership collaboration and you know I think that's really the the secret formula probably even India's role in the world needn't necessarily be a superpower, but more a super partner right like we work so well with other countries you know to partner with them to shape and change a better world for all you know right from vasudev kutumbakam what you're saying and maybe that could be the you know the generational shift in thought process you know over the next you know generation or two from india you know as we you know become more powerful or at least have a larger impact on the world compared to what we have today
0: I think Rajan, you've raised a really important point. I think that's so important. You know, how can India can also lead the way in collaboration, as you
1: said. Yeah. No, and I think it starts from business. It starts from the thought process and somewhere, like you rightly pointed out, it's been there in the DNA of India as a country, right? We've always looked at holistic rather than you know, uh, individual kind of development. But, you know, again, really taking that point forward because you are so strong about believing that we need to have inclusive growth, inclusive development, you know, the socio-economic potential of India is really something that we both need to strengthen and unlock, right? Both for our country, you know, and, and for the world. And you've got rich experience, both through your private enterprise, right? From, you know, all the areas you're in financial services, pharma catering to large audiences or through your philanthropy. So if we were to put all of this together, You know, how can India Inc, you know, especially when we talk of organizations like CII and others who have built, you know, large nation building visions, you know, using industry as a, uh, you know, to attract other stakeholders and actually be a convening body more than anything else. How can India Inc really shape the future, you know, the socioeconomic parts of India? Any any thoughts, uh, you know, as we move forward?
0: No, I think... uh Again, as far as the economic is concerned, I think, uh, well, CI frankly, is really doing a stellar job in actually bringing industry together, bringing thought leaders together, first of all, and also uh, trying to give a balanced picture to the government as to what is needed to be done to improve industry. Because as I said, if business does not improve, business can be a force of good. And I think that's what uh, CII has been doing. And we need to emphasize that even more that how can business be a force for good? I gave you just this example that every one rupee we spend, you're getting 15 times the multiple. And therefore, to that extent, I think the more profitable people of uh, the businesses are, there will be greater contribution in the social development uh, uh, process as well that's one second thing is i think uh, to make us just all of us be more conscious as they call it of capitalism conscious capitalism is important today because uh, think of it the differences today the world has gone ahead a lot gdps have gone ahead but you can see that the difference between the really rich or the super rich and the the poor has only widened This gap cannot be sustained for a very long time, and you will find that there will be uh, challenges in the future. If we want to have a peaceful and a nice world, I think we will have to share some of this. And that's the responsibility of business and leaders. Business leaders are what other people look up to, and I think so. it's our uh, collective responsibility to ensure that we set up some Uh, standards i mean the leadership shows the way at how they can also to you know contribute towards the less privileged.
1: no and i think that gap what you rightly said is you know is widening and you know today india you know we keep reading houses one-fifth of the world population right i mean it's a massive you know, responsibility, right? Even if we look at it, we still have a, you know, democratic process by way of which we will see a developing country like India, probably in the history of mankind, you know, the largest country democratically elected, you know, which transforms to becoming a developed country. And I think the next 25 years really, Ajay, is about that journey. And I think the innovation that India is going to have to do to make that real for every citizen is, is quite, you know, quite a challenge. But I think embedded in all of this is, is, I think, education also, you know, something that I know you mentioned earlier, it's so critical, you know, how do we really get this new education policy that we have the right education for all and more so in a challenging time, you know, I was when we talked to some, you know, other global uh, smaller countries and where education literacy levels are high. I just heard one minister from a foreign country saying, you know, we should be, we should produce graduates by 12th standard today because, you know, that's how education needs to get compressed. We have generative AI, we have learning, we have, you know, while the world and industry has moved, you know, our teachers in schools are still teaching the seventh grade the same thing that they probably taught 20 years ago because they haven't moved. Industry has moved, right? How do we bridge that? And so many challenges. But how, is, how do you see education particularly, you know, and, and that role over the next 25 years? Is there some thinking that we should be doing effectively? Uh, so, uh,
0: uh, in education, because that's, one of, our, that's uh, one of the areas which our foundation focuses on a big way, I think you're very right that the education has to be which is geared towards the 21st century. Here, I must say that the new education policy actually talks about that. So, how do we equip this world? I mean, you talk about, uh, you know, I have grandchildren now, and I, they are in the like fourth standard and sixth uh, class. And frankly, what they talk, sometimes I am at a loss to, you know, be able to explain to them. So far ahead they are, you know, they talk about coding and they talk about so many other things. So how do we equip uh, people? How do we equip our teachers? So what we've done is, first of all, if you look at education in India, it is the public sector where the government spends the most money on the education budget. How do we make public schools better schools? The new education policy talks about it. And I think we all need to see that how we can raise the standard because uh, that is where the big challenge is. Uh, We found that, again, leadership, whether it's in business, whether it's in uh, politics in the country, whether it is in school, leadership makes a difference. So how we've been now trying to coach, let's say, uh, uh, headmasters of government schools to how to become better leaders, how to get more out of their teachers, out of their students, and how to be open to new learning. And I must say that the results have been really very, very uh, a- encouraging for us. So similarly, I think we have to spend one area that I feel is that there are so many people in education in the country, but not enough emphasis is, giving, is been given on training them to the new way of the world and to, to really make them better leaders, because actually all of these people are leaders. And therefore, how do you ensure that that happens? We have to focus on the curriculum has to keep changing. You have to keep an open world. Again, the big advantage of India is just the spread of the uh, mobile phones and communication. The cost of communication in India is so low, and with the spread of 5G and then even further on, you'll find that both data and video will be available in the most remotest corners of the country which can be a big tool for education and uh, people equipping so it's a combination of uh, training which is the most important is a combination of really technology and then measuring output in india till now we were only measuring input do you need a school you need three bedroom uh, three sorry classrooms you need uh, a toilet—that's important. But now you have to go beyond that to really ensure that outcomes are measured, which is what again the new education policy talks about.
1: No, and I think these outcomes will become so important, you know, as people move to a lifetime of learning. Right? I mean, India used to always say you get a career for a lifetime—you got one job and you stayed. And now, it's a lifetime of careers because the world is changing so rapidly and especially young people, right? I mean, we are home, Ajay, to one in 10 people in the world is an Indian under the age of 25 today. I mean, not only an Indian and that's going to, you know, unlock the youth power. You know, our Prime Minister loves to talk of our Yuva Shakti and Nari Shakti, you know, and and I think that's the true power... You know that will take us to india at 100 you talked about your grandchildren i think they are the ones who will shape that generation you know gen z's and and we work so closely you know as i said even in our business group we've transformed now to really look at gen z's and their future their needs and how they participate in the new yeah. economy right i think it's it's so important but when you look at young people right and and you know there are so many of them in india and again what you said across tier three tier four cities and you know very hard to send a common message but what's your message to to the youth of of india you know what
0: what would you tell them (laughs) really the youth is that the future is in our hands and you know we have to just work at it if we we can shape the future it's really in our hands and this is the best time to be in india and you know when I see the enthusiasm of the young people in I mean I, I meet a lot of people in the tier 3, tier uh, two three four cities and frankly that is really inspiring and I'm, if we keep learning, as you said, I agree with you, it's a lifetime of learning and if you are working hard at it, India will reach uh, in their lifetime uh, a really significant position in the world.
1: Uh, no, I think, I think also women, you know, I think the yeah. nari Shakti, is there, you have any thoughts around that, how women so, can contribute more because we have the lowest, you know, level of women in the workforce, you know, compared to many other parts of the world, you know, Where I think
0: it's <laughs> significant. Again, I'll just give you an example from what our foundation is doing. I sure. mean, we work in, again, smaller towns, uh, uh, three, uh, you know, tier three, four and we found that women who have never gotten out of the house in very traditional areas, like Rajasthan, where there is still a lot of women are not allowed to go out too much, married women, you know, stay at home. We just said that, why don't we train them to be just data entry operators? And, uh, you know, we gave them basic learning, which was for like three months, and now they are really doing a lot of the data which you need, uh, which they're doing for many companies. So This is, it is so uh, transforming, you know, they've changed the way they look at it. Education is important for women and then giving them a chance to feel empowered, to feel that I can do something, I can contribute to my household, and I can go out and I don't, I'm not, I'm independent, makes a world of difference and I tell you, There's huge potential and our women are ready
1: to do it. Yeah, I think there's been a big shift, you know, in in that and we're seeing that happen. And I think we have to find ways to accelerate that you know Ajay we can keep talking and we can spend hours together but we just have about five minutes and I'm going to just take a couple of questions you know from some of the people who are you know engaged in this discussion today as I said the large part of this discussion will be unleashed over the next 25 years in different snippets many of the pieces we've talked of will have relevance at different points in India's journey, you know, Amrit Kal journey. Uh, but one question is really, you know, your, uh, you know, one of your key areas is real estate and, you know, affordable housing and that sector. So how do you see that shaping up over the next 25 years?
0: You know, uh, to make. It- I know we can spend hours on that <laughs> but- <laughs> 25 years, you know, today with such a dynamic world is really impossible to say so. But I can just say that if you look at the trend, the secular trend is that as more and more people want to take into housing, as more economy, uh, as the economic development takes place, the biggest investment and the most important investment any family does is in housing. And therefore, with the growth in the economy, I see that the is sector which is going to grow. And uh, whether it is, and it's not only in, you talked about affordable housing, that's another area. And as we see that more and more the financial sector develops, more loans are, and more loans are available to even the people who till now had no access to loan. I think once that happens, then even further the development will take place so again credit is very important for the growth of an economy and these people large parts of the country or the population were deprived of credit because you didn't have enough data about them but now with all the new forms of data i see that this is also going to grow
1: yeah and now you know with that data i think you can you know, give uh, smarter credit to people at a younger age. Right. Because then, you know, the propensity, you know, if people start buying homes even two years earlier, it just changes the, the whole, uh, you know, aspect. And as we all know, the U.S. became the largest consumption economy when Visa and MasterCard put $5,000 in people's accounts. But, you know, we've got a conservative spending culture, but the home gives that security. Even though we are talking of the metaverse and so many other things today, where yeah, home, is home. <laughs> home is home, <laughs> ultimately the human body will reside, you know, somewhere. But uh, great, no, thanks for that. And you know, the other question is around, uh, you know, the importance of uh, climate change uh, and the environment. Because while we talk of the next twenty-five years and growth, you know, the world has to also do it, you know, sensibly. Uh, this is a question. So, you know, what are your thoughts around? The importance and what role can India play, you know, in shaping that globally?
0: I think uh, there is no; it's no longer a question whether climate change is a uh, climate change is happening or not, and uh, to control the, uh, you know, the ecology is important or not. It's so obvious. I mean, you can see the heat wave in India today. Yeah. I mean, uh, so it's going to have a big impact, whether it is on drought, whether agriculture, whether it's on rain and so on so i don't even want to go down that path i'm assuming that is done i think india actually if i was just looking at some statistics in terms of capacity for alternative energy india is the fourth largest in the world so we have some ways taken leadership we are also in great ways blessed that because you have sun for so much time of the day now, the way how we can store it and, uh, you know, as the uh, time goes by, I can see that the storage and the battery and all that will become much better. So, again, the only way to uh, s- spread more of it is uh, to bring down the cost of uh, delivery of uh, the production and delivery of the power, which if I look at solar today is much lower than what it is for uh, the thermal power. So just keep spreading it, the investment does take time. I think uh, government has been encouraging that and we have to continue with, on that path and just push it. It is a, such a big necessity and again, this is not a necessity only of India, it is the whole world. When you talk about Vasudev, Kutumbhak, I think climate is one thing which is affecting all of us and if we don't do something, uh, it affects our neighbours and the world as well.
1: Know, such a such a beautiful thought <laughs> to bring you know this conversation to a conclusion because i know you know your your deep spirituality comes out from that you know and i think i think if we all have to unlock that 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 the true spirit of of humanity and camaraderie and compassion to really shape not only our own existence but you know of of everyone on on planet earth and thank you ajay we've had such a range of you know subjects that we've been able to talk about your inputs and you know always very energizing and very enriching uh, to hear your thoughts and your views on India something that you're so deeply passionate about and its future so again lovely having this conversation and look forward to continuing to work closely with you as we move towards India at 100 and you know, do our little bit to, to make that happen. But thank you again for spending this time to share these inputs. Well,
0: thank you, Ryan, for uh, being so considerate. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to CII Podcasts.